this is an episode that I'm sure is going to have so many people excited, not just because of the topic itself, but because so many people actually need to discuss this. On episode number 29, I'm talking with my dear friend Alexandra Stockwell, MD, on intimacy and sleep. Alexandra is a relationship and intimacy expert and she helps couples build beautiful, stable, long-lasting, passionate relationships. She's the best-selling author of Uncompromising Intimacy and the creator of the Aligned and Hot Marriage program. She's been featured in the Huffington Post, USA Today, Cosmopolitan, Business Insider, Fox News and so many other publications. She's a wife of 24 years and a mother of four, but she believes the key to passion, fulfillment, intimacy and success isn't compromise. It's being unwilling to compromise because when both people feel free to be themselves and know how to love and be loved for exactly who they are, the relationship is juicy, nourishing and deeply satisfying. For over 20 years, she has shown men and women how to bring pleasure and purpose into all aspects of life, from the daily grind of running a household to clear and intimate communication to ecstatic experiences in the bedroom. So what are you waiting for? I'm sure you can't wait to listen to this one, but just a quick reading out of another five-star review from Mary Helene. Fantastic podcast on a subject so important yet at times ignored. Deepa chose such an important topic that is a non-negotiable yet not addressed enough. Deepa has an amazing knowledge on the subject, is able to present it from all different angles as well as connecting to great presenters, experts and speakers. I can't wait for her next episodes. Highly recommend listening to this podcast, even if you think you sleep well. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer Podcast. Alexandra, we've both got our red lipsticks on for to talk about intimacy and sleep today. Very exciting topic. And I know this is one episode that I really won't mind it getting a, to be a long episode. I think there's lots that we need to discuss today. Intimacy, sexuality, whole lot more. So stay tuned for an explicit and explosive episode. Um, and you, Alexandra, are a relationship and intimacy 
expert. So first of all, I want to know what exactly that is because uh, when we were introduced, the first thing that uh, the antenna popped up in my head was intimacy experts. So I really love to know what that is. And um, I know a little bit about what prompted you to go down that route of where you've now gone. But um, let's, let's give our audience that little journey of what brought you to this field of expertise. Okay, beautiful. I'm so honored to be here. And it's so funny because of course, the two things that happen in beds are sleeping and sexuality. And they're often not discussed in the same conversation because one is this calming, restful experience and the other hopefully is a dynamic, exciting experience, but really they are so related. So it's really a privilege to be here. And I will define what a relationship and intimacy expert is, but I'm gonna tell my story first to give a little yes. context. So I was, in my mid thirties, I'm now 52. So a little under 20 years ago, I was married. I had three of my four children. I had no debt and I was a very happy family medicine doctor. I had a small holistic practice and I loved practicing medicine and serving people in that way. My husband is also a physician. He still practices medicine. So I'm in my mid thirties. Maybe I'll add to that each of my parents had died. And so I was the oldest person in my family at this time right. in my direct line. And I had been working very hard for many years in order to achieve this goal. And I thought that I would have some sense of real satisfaction. You know, I, I found the man whom I love. I have wonderful children. I love my career. I'm successful. I have put so many hours of study into being an accomplished holistic medical doctor, but I didn't feel satisfied and like, oh yes, this is, this was worth all of that. And now I have another 40 years to enjoy this life I've created. I didn't feel that way. And in the United States where among physicians, especially burnout is a very common phenomenon. When I'm interviewed by an American podcast host, I'm often asked, oh, did you feel burnout? And the answer is no, not at all. I might, I probably would have, but I didn't wait until it got to that. I listened more at the level of the whisper, realizing that I don't feel that joy and satisfaction that I want to experience. And so it took a lot of courage, of course, but I dialed my practice down and took a year long sabbatical, except in my heart, I knew I probably wasn't going back, but I wasn't ready to say that. Mm. And for the first time in my life, I had no clear agenda. Now I say that I had three children, a husband, a household. So I had plenty of tasks. It wasn't that I was 
free with my 24 hours, within the time that I had discretion over, I had no agenda and I felt open. It was amazing. I took walks, I took some dance classes, I did some spiritual trainings and I gave myself permission to just do what I felt like, which I had yearned for previously, but once I had that time, I wasn't really sure how to proceed. Like I knew, I wasn't looking to be indulgent. I was just looking to reconnect with authentic desire without any kind of um, societal ambition. So one thing led to another. I gave myself permission to do things that made sense and some things that didn't make sense while respecting the life I'd created. And eventually I got to where for myself and my own marriage, I really wanted to expand and enjoy my sensuality, my sexuality. I knew how to enjoy sleep. I wanted to really enjoy the rest of what happens in a bed. Mm. And so I took a training which happened to double as a coach training, but I didn't even know what a coach was at the time. And I was just there so that I could experience more pleasure, enjoy my own body, learn how to connect with my husband's. You know, I, I knew the poetry and Rumi and others who, who describe such beautiful things about what can happen when two bodies yeah. merge. And I wanted to experience that. Yeah. So I learned how, and I've now been married for 24 years. Soon we'll be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. I have four children and I have an extraordinary marriage. And once I learned how to do that for myself, I transitioned my work and career to showing others how to create lifelong passion. So as an intimacy expert, I'm teaching individuals and couples how to have more emotional intimacy, more sensual intimacy, more erotic intimacy, really how to enjoy the relationships that you have in your life so that they are fulfilling and nourishing. And then you can sleep well and bring your purpose into the world. That's beautiful, Alexandra. And I actually truly believe, and my husband and I speak a lot about this, that uh, repression is at the root of so many health challenges and uh, the lack of your ability to uh, just live your vision. So I think it's very important. This work that you're doing needs to reach so many people. Uh, and I think all the more so in India, do you practice virtually? Yes, it's been for years that I work exclusively online and I do for multiple reasons. One is then I can work with people all over the world as I do. But the other is that when I'm working with individuals, it's less of an issue. But when I'm working with couples, I know what an honor it is and how much courage it takes for a couple to bring a third person mm -hmm. 
into a topic of conversation, which is usually just for the two of them. If, if someone is very unhappy, then maybe they're talking to their friends and complaining, but most couples are very, when they really love one another, they're loyal to one another and they don't so quickly speak about the kinds of things that need to be addressed. And so I have to say that I love working virtually because then the couple is in their home, they're with themselves, they're in their own space. And it's very intimate to talk on Zoom, but I'm, I still am kind of in a, in a metaphysical sense, I'm still outside the relationship, which is where I want to be. But through Zoom, I can be very connected and have these conversations about very intimate topics. So I think working virtually is really very suitable for what for the work that I'm doing. I, I wouldn't want people to come into my office and be in my energy and my space. I want them to be in their energy and their space because we're talking about their intimate lives. That makes so much sense. And uh, it's also that before we jump into the conversation, is it, uh, do you see a lot of people who've just fallen into the pattern that they're now too old and therefore they don't need to be sensual and they don't need to have intimacy in their marriage or in their relationship? Yes, you know, I had one woman recently ask me, at what age do people stop having sex? Right. And this is a very educated, wonderful, she's, a, she's actually a very juicy woman, but she, had, she was surprised when I said, well, there is no age. You know, at what age do people stop working out? It's, mm. it's not how that works. And in fact, in nursing homes in the United States, the most modern nursing homes, they build an additional room because in most nursing homes in the United States, there uh, is double occupancy. But even as people lose their memories and their finesse in life, their ability to make financial decisions, once all those kinds of repressions are removed, what remains is a desire to eat, sleep, and have sex. Mm -hmm. And so these rooms are available so there can be privacy for people to couple in their 80s, in their 90s. You know, this is not something that dies. And actually, this is a good moment to bring in that I think really throughout the world, the most common relationship advice that is given is that you need to learn to compromise. If you want to be happy in your marriage, you have to be very skillful with compromise. Mm. That is completely wrong. Because if we compromise and we hold back and repress and suppress and just make our partner comfortable, but in the process, we are um, unfaithful to ourselves, right? then... When we get to the bedroom, there's no switch to flip in order to be fully expressed and bring our whole self and feel seen and appreciated and glad to share who we are if during the day we've been choosing to 
not say this, not do this, not buy this, not think this, not sing this, because maybe our partner won't like it. So my book is actually called Uncompromising Intimacy. And that doesn't mean that you always get your way or that you get to, you know, that your partner becomes okay with everything you want. No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that you share what you want. And then the two of you can collaborate on what actually happens. But you're not holding a part of yourself outside the relationship. That's really what compromise is. And in being uncompromised, we bring all of ourselves and then we can create what works for both of us. And that really sets up success in the bedroom because it is just so hard to open our bodies when we've needed to close parts of our souls. Oh, that's beautiful. In fact, so what you're just saying is that intimacy always begins way outside the bedroom. And I've always believed it. And I think, Alexandra, that a lot of times you also see people outside of the relationship actually commenting on uh, or pushing one of the people in the relationship towards compromise. And uh, we joke, my husband and I, that when we argue, it's like there's a world war going on because there's two people who are both very strong and very passionate. But the one thing that we do after an argument is we just we don't even recall a single thing that each of us spoke. So we are both free to voice ourselves to the fullest extent. And I think that makes a world of difference. But I do notice people outside of our relationship commenting on that fact, especially as an Indian woman, I'm expected to keep my voice a little low and a little down and that never happens. Uh, so that's a beautiful thing. But coming back to sleep and sensuality that um, recently in, um, I heard a friend talking about a lot of friends commenting on snoring and how it's impacting their sleep. And they've resorted to putting on earplugs because there's no other way. So when I said, how about just sleeping in two different rooms? And then they spoke about no one wants to give up the master bedroom. And I know you have a lot to talk about this. So when it comes to sleep, what do you, are there some unique challenges that actually impact couples and what can they actually do? Is there an ideal way or is it unique to every, every different relationship? Well, I do believe that what makes each relationship thrive is uniquely developed by the two people who are in it, but there are all kinds of general principles that can help guide it. And a lot of what I'm going to share, I don't know where else one would find this information. So it's very helpful to hear general information, either to apply it as I describe or to take it and make it your own. So in terms of the difficulty of sharing a bed, I think there are three main areas which are challenging and we can discuss each one. Yes. Because it's helpful not to just it can feel actually kind of helpless if it just is one big black hole of challenge. But if you can differentiate what the challenge is and what it isn't, that's already 
helpful in finding solutions. So the three main areas are when the two people have very different schedules, either because their work schedules are different or because one is a night owl and one is just loves to get up early in the morning. And so the one who likes to get up early in the morning goes to bed earlier. The one who is a night owl goes to bed later and sleeps in. And that can create certain kinds of tension we can talk about. The second one is when there is any kind of either overt or completely unexpressed emotional tension. It's very hard when you feel resentful, taken for granted, your feelings are hurt, you either express something or you didn't, any of those flavors to then lie down next to the person that is the feels like the source of all of those complicated feelings and relax and drift off to dreamland. Mm. That is very challenging. So sometimes people say, don't go to bed angry, or you always need to make up before going to sleep. It's not that simple in practice because feelings last past their logical shelf life. And so that's a second challenge. And then the third challenge is what I would put more in the physical realm of snoring or when the person moves a lot in the bed and takes all the covers and they have no bad intentions. They may be a very generous person when awake, <laughs> but when asleep, not so much or talking in their sleep or um, sleep apnea. I recently coached a couple where throughout the night, he stops breathing and it is so scary for her and she'll shake him so that he starts breathing again. This is a pattern with sleep apnea. And so she feels uncomfortable going to sleep in case he stops breathing and doesn't start again. And she's not there to start him up and he's snoring loudly. And so it's hard for her to go to sleep. So there really are all kinds of physical things, which you may have some beautiful suggestions for how to resolve them through nutrition and other interventions. But in the meantime, until all of that works, there are these physical kinds of challenges that make sharing a bed with your beloved challenging. So let's talk about let's each of break these that three down. Yes. Yeah, let's break that down in detail because I can think of so many people for each of these. So I think it's important that we dive a little deeper into each of them. Okay, well, the for, there are a few things that apply to all three. One is that one or both people in the couple usually have a story, a whole interpretation of what it means to share a bed together and what it means if they don't share a bed together. So as you referred to earlier, you know, who neither one wants to give up the master bedroom because the master bed, it may be more comfortable. It's a sign of power. And then the one who needs to leave is more of the accessory in the partnership rather than a core member because they have to sleep in the guest room. Or 
it can mean that if we don't share a bed together, it means that our relationship is starting to unravel and we're ultimately and eventually at risk of getting divorced when everything else in the relationship is good. But if we don't share a bed together, it means the beginning of the end. <laughs> there are all of these, there are all of these thoughts. And so I think it's just really important to identify what your beliefs are and see if your partner has the same beliefs. It, it may be that um, it doesn't mean any of that to your partner, or maybe your partner has the same beliefs. And so it's very important that you can focus on getting enough sleep without it meaning all of these other things that aren't part of getting right. sleep. So that's the first thing is just to kind of separate what is the truth and what are the stories and together come up with a story that you feel good about. So the story my husband and I have, which we actually learned from the woman who, who gave a childbirth preparation class. And so that in that context, it was talking about sleep when you have an infant. And she used to always say, just do whatever gets everyone the most amount of sleep. And so for me, there have been times when I have a stuffy nose, I sometimes snore, my husband is a much lighter sleeper, and I'll wake up and he will have gone to finish the night on the couch. And I used to wake up and think, well, first of all, I would feel abandoned. And I would think it meant that we weren't so close. And I had all kinds of ideas. And I said something to him about it. And he said, no, I just want us all to get the most sleep. Mm. And so make sure to tell one another the thing which is encouraging, because then it gives you freedom to problem solve a lot more creatively than if you're worried that it means the end of the relationship. So that's the thing which I think is actually often missed and far and away the most important. The second thing is to create rituals of transition. So if you're going to go to bed at a different time than your spouse, or you're going to sleep in a different room, or your partner's going to sleep in a different room, that bring intention and attention to it so that you have a transition together. For example, if you're the one who likes to go to bed earlier and get up earlier, make a point of going to your partner and really ending the day together, mm. saying good night, acknowledging that the day is over, wishing him or her a beautiful night, I'll see you in the morning. That allows you to feel like you're ending the day together. Even if the next thing that happens is one person goes to bed and the other person keeps working or watching TV or whatever the project is. And the same thing in the morning when the person who sleeps later gets up, go find your partner or if your partner has gone to work, send a text so that you can have an experience of starting the day together. These are things that really are very small 
very quick in any given day, but over time, they build such a loving foundation and support and collaboration despite very different sleep habits. And this is true if people have a different schedule. This isn't exactly what is gonna help when it's hard to fall asleep next to your partner because of emotional challenges. But if you're sleeping in different bedrooms, this also applies mm. so that you end the night together and then you can each go to sleep. That's just very different than having something that feels a little bit more like strangers or roommates and one just goes off to bed. You want to really do it as partners. I agree totally. And in fact, we have a little ritual that we sleep in different rooms, but uh, before we go to sleep, just as you said, I go to bed a little earlier than my husband, but we have a two minute cuddle in the dark. Uh, and then when we wake up, we do exactly what you said. The one who uh, wakes up later goes and finds the other one and says, where's my morning cuddle? So I think that's these small things are very powerful. Um, yeah, so good points. Uh, and it's so easy, Alexandra, for people to, these are small, but then it's easy to just get caught up in the mundane life with responsibilities and just miss these little things which add so much. Uh, and on that note, I think if, uh, um, do you have something more to say about this specific um, keeping separate homes? Yes, I do. I think the, there are a few risks, all of which relate to the power dynamics in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So one is if one bedroom is the master bedroom and the other one is a guest room or some kind of a couch, something much more ancillary, <laughs> that can create a very funny and unhelpful power dynamic. So my recommendation, I, I love hearing everything that you share and I'm guessing that you've done what I'm about to say. <laughs> But what I recommend is that you make both bedrooms lovely. Yes. So, yeah, because when both bedrooms are lovely, then you know that your spouse is honored, you are honored. And it also means if, if one person has the master bedroom and the other person has a small guest room, for example, it means that the person who has the small guest room actually is the one who's controlling when sex happens because mm -hmm. then that person chooses when to come to the master mm -hmm. bedroom for some marital romance. And the person who has the master bedroom where all the luxury is, they actually have less power because they just need to hope and wait <laughs> the other person will join them for some romance. But when both bedrooms are lovely, then each of you can receive the other one in your bed and each of you can enjoy visiting the other one in their bed and there's still enough comfort and space to really enjoy being with one another. 
Interesting. Although in uh, what happens then if there's a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old in the middle of this equation? Well, that's a question in all variations. <laughs> you know, if there's a marital bed, if the children climb in, that would have to be navigated in the particular details. And if for the person who isn't in the marital bed goes into the children's room, which is what you're suggesting, then probably the sex and sensuality and the naked cuddling is more likely to happen in the marital bed. But the thing to really strive for is that both people are really collaborating on when that happens mm. so that because otherwise the person who's left in the marital bed is at risk for feeling rejected or that they have to put on a whole seduction scheme. And of course there is the risk that the person who's going to the children's bedroom will wonder, well, you know, will I be intruding if I go into the marital bedroom? So that needs conversation so that it can be collaborative. And so that, um, there isn't an inappropriate imbalance in power, which just comes from one person being in the marital bed and the other person sleeping in a bedroom with the children. Mm. So I guess what I would say that kind of covers everything we're talking about is that this is an area, this is very funny. Let me see if I can say it as a joke. This is an area where it's, easy to go to sleep, but it's important to be awake, mm. to be awake and have these conversations, to be aware of what your own thoughts and feelings are and the stories that you're telling yourself about how you're sharing a bed or not sharing a bed and what that means. Because if you're awake in these realms, then both of you get to have more sleep and be really satisfied in terms of how you make love and win. That makes so much sense. And you speak so much, Alexandra, about a hot and aligned marriage. So I do want to give us some time to talk about that. What exactly do you mean by hot and aligned marriage? You know, so many people believe that with the passing years, relationships become more like companionship, maybe roommates, that the passion just fades. And that just does not have to be the case at all. In fact, as humans, we are mammals and mammals learn through imitation. And we have very few role models of what it looks like to have a really juicy, passionate relationship that is long lasting. And so when you have passion and joy and purpose and meaning and both of you continue to grow individually and together, I call that an aligned and hot marriage. And the reason I call it that is the alignment is so important. The word alignment really points to each of you being true to yourselves in a way that is connected and resonant with one another. And when you accomplish that, well, the heat 
comes naturally. It's not a matter of finding some new sex positions or mastering the Kama Sutra. That's not necessary. Yeah, I agree. What, I mean, yeah. I'm not against that. Oh, yes. But it's not necessary. Yes. <laughs> it's more that when you, when you are really growing and exploring who you are and true to yourself and revealing it, and your partner is doing the same, there is an alignment, a congruence, and a resonance that just radiates into the realm of passion as well. And I just love hearing about the two of you feeling free to say whatever it is that you want to say. I think that takes courage. And I can maybe I'll say something that follows what we're talking about, but also addresses the people who have hurt feelings and resentment, and therefore it's hard to relax and fall yeah. asleep next to the partner. And that is what I recommend people do is to write a letter mm. to the partner. You're never going to give it to them, but give yourself permission to fully express everything. I usually call them, I hate you letters. And I have coached people, let's say someone who has been so resentful to their mother, to their husband, whomever it is, their boss, for 30 years, just every day filled with a kind of resentment and a disgust, but polite and not expressing this, though suffering. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, well, write that person a letter and you have permission to say everything. You don't have to hold back at all. And my experience is that most people who are yearning to have permission to say it, once they receive the permission, they don't know what to say. It's very challenging to actually get those feelings all the way into consciousness and out on the page. I'm guessing you would be very skillful because you've practiced this with your <laughs> husband, but most people, they don't know what to say. And so I sometimes say, okay, well, write that person a letter, which you're never going to give them. You're never going to show them, write that person a letter every day for 30 days, because each day you can access more of the ugliness and the pain and the hurt feelings and see that it reminded you of how your classmates treated you when you were seven years old and you feel so disrespected and you do everything and why won't he and whatever it is that lives in you, there's no benefit to not expressing it, though there is great benefit in most marriages of not saying it to the person. So if you put that in a letter and then you can burn it or rip it up. You do not want, this is really not for the other person. Exactly. Even though you're writing about it, it actually has very little to do with them. But if you have difficulty relaxing because your feelings are hurt or you're angry or anything like that, I suggest you write a letter to your partner every evening before getting into bed. And it, once you get it out of your system, it's easier to fall asleep. So that is for that challenge in sharing a bed and back to the aligned and hot marriage. 
the way to really be connected and passionate with your beloved spouse is to allow everything in you to move through you. And that means the good, the joy, the gratification, the pleasure. And it also means the anger, the disappointment, the resentment, the hurt feelings, because the fact is we really can only experience as much joy as we're willing to experience the same amount of sorrow. So it's not that we sit in our sorrow, but we need to welcome it, sorrow, anger, and in the unusual magical situation where you can express it to your husband like you have, beautiful. But more likely, if you're listening, that's not one of the rules or in the culture of your marriage. And in that case, just sit with yourself, write a letter, allow yourself to cry, allow yourself to speak things that you probably think shouldn't be spoken by a wife about her husband or vice versa, and just do it by writing it down or in privacy. I've had times where driving in my car on the highway, I scream some of the ugliest things I've ever said, but no one hears it. <laughs> especially on the highway. I wouldn't even do it on a parked car because then it could be heard. But in order to have an aligned marriage, in order to experience uncompromising intimacy, it's just so important to allow the darker sides of us to move up and out because suppressing them means we're carrying them around with us. They don't just fade away with time. We need a way to get them out. And often, just like after a good long cry, it's easier to fall asleep once we Yeah, die. absolutely. Um, so, but I do want us to talk a little bit about the actual juicy parts of our conversation, which is, um, is intimacy just sexuality? Is it a whole lot more? And how does intimacy actually support better sleep? Well, it's easy to have sex without intimacy, for sure. Yes. And I think many couples do, and I don't really even want to say that much more about it other than to be clear that it is very, very common in marriages. And there's nothing wrong with you if you're listening and that's your situation. And Having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill and having passionate, magnificent, extraordinary sex is also a learnable skill. And I think sometimes people think, well, I just married the wrong person or I'm too old to learn this now. Mm. Neither of those things are true. There's very little education. It's, it's the main reason that I do the work that I do is because I think it's so important and where else is someone going to learn this? But it really, I think of myself probably as a teacher more than anything else, because these are learnable skills. So let's talk about what that looks like. The first thing when it comes to sex and sensuality and passion and pleasure 
is that particularly for women, we are trained both with words and implicitly to pay attention to our husband's experiences. Mm -hmm. And for that matter, some men are trained to use sex as a way to give their wives pleasure too, but not as many men are trained that way as women are trained to prioritize. And, and we learn how to handle a man's genital organs without ever really learning how to honor our own female genital organs. And so the first step, the essential courageous first step in having absolutely wonderful sex is in bringing our attention to our own experience and giving ourselves permission to feel whatever we're going to feel. Not to fake pleasure, not to deny pleasure, but just the first step is just to pay attention. If you're having sex with someone you're married to, are you enjoying it? No, and I'm sure a lot of people will be cautious to even think about these things because it goes against that feeling of loyalty to the relationship. Yes, and it also feels like a responsibility as a wife or a husband that you need to have sex and it's a duty. And sometimes if something feels like a duty or a responsibility, it can feel like a burden, even though with a little shift in attention, it can be quite satisfying if you take it as something that is also very much for you. So the first question, which I think people immediately know the answer, it's just that it takes courage to ask the question, am I enjoying this? And if the answer is yes, then what would make it even more delightful, more engaging and more pleasurable because there is always, always, always more pleasure available. And I actually, I had a client once say to me, she was married for five years and then divorced because their sex life just died off and she didn't want to stay in a sexless marriage. And now she's with this wonderful man. They've been together for quite a few years. And she said to me very vulnerably, I just love novelty and I'm afraid that novelty will wear off and I'll just never have a long relationship that is sexually satisfying, even though what she's experiencing with this current partner is certainly very satisfying. And I said to her, you know, in a new relationship, novelty is about new experiences and new positions and new ways of trying things in a long lasting relationship. Novelty is totally different. It can mean that you and your partner both have all of your attention on whatever the sensation is and just a micro adjustment of your bodies 
and you access a whole new flavor of sensual deliciousness. Novelty is much more nuanced and refined, but still very real and very, as you said earlier on in a different context, explosive. I mean, our bodies are full of secrets that need to be discovered. And when you're with a partner for many, many years and decades, you get to know one another's bodies so well. It's, it's like being a violinist playing a Stradivarius. There are new flavors and new tones and new depth that can be heard. That is available in a long lasting partnership. And so if the answer, are you enjoying it, is yes, well, what else do you want to enjoy? But I wanna make sure to give some time if the answer is no, because yes. the fact is that is the much more common answer. Exactly. So if the answer is no, I'm not enjoying it. Ultimately, if you're a woman and you're not enjoying the sex you're having with your husband, it's going to be your job, your invitation, your possibility and your responsibility to identify what would bring more enjoyment. Your partner is not supposed to be a mind reader here. Mm. He's not supposed to arrive with the manual of pleasure fully learned. So if you're not enjoying yourself, it's time to explore a bit on your own, either through touching yourself or with him if you feel comfortable. But where exactly do you want to be touched and with how much pressure and how much speed, what's the pace and how long. One of the things that I actually recommend for people at the very beginning of this journey, not the beginning of having sex, but the beginning of prioritizing pleasure in sex, you might be a grandmother as you hear this, but still be at the beginning Right. of looking at sex as pleasure. And so one of the things I recommend, which um, you can be fully clothed, it's not, it, it's still um, a big deal, is to take your right hand and very gently touch the inside of your wrist, which is softer skin. So you're barely even touching it and see at what pace you want to touch the inside of your wrist. Wow. And I sometimes, if I'm in an unpleasant meeting and it's just no fun, I'll just do this under the table. It's so discreet, nobody even knows. Or sometimes at the dinner table, because I just love the lightest pressure and it really just brings me back in touch with myself as a woman of pleasure, and I can still think clearly if I'm at a meeting, but if you are doing this, one of the things to pay attention to is often you might have your attention on what your fingers are experiencing as they touch your inner wrist. And while you focus on that, simultaneously experience what your wrist is feeling, 
what is the receiving part of your body experiencing? Because very often, if we are touching any part of our body, we're paying attention to what our hands are feeling. And when you shift while you touch yourself really anywhere, your leg, your breasts, wherever you want to touch, really pay attention to what the body is feeling, not just the hands, because that allows you to be more aware of the receiving experience when you're then going to be touching and touched by someone else. And the other thing that I would add is while you touch your husband, if you're a woman listening, or this is also true for a man touching a woman or any variation thereof, to really take your pleasure. It's a very different experience if I touch my husband in order to give him an experience. That's good. But you know what he loves more? Is when I'm touching in a way that brings me pleasure so that that experience is for me as much as it is for him. So I think the way to really, this is funny tying it in, the way to get a good night's sleep is to really honor both of your experiences, mm. what's happening in your heads and in your bodies, and the way to have really magnificent sensual sexual experiences, intimacy that you would only have with your true beloved is to really honor what's happening in each of your experiences, in your heads and in your bodies. Because when you're each doing that, what can happen between the two of you is really quite extraordinary. That's a very sensitive approach, Alexandra. And what you're saying is you've brought us so beautifully from emotions to sensuality to sleep. And what I really took away is also that uh, they, they, they're so intricately connected to each other. So how sensual you are and how honest you can be about that plays a role in how emotionally expressive you are and vice versa. And then if obviously if you are satisfied sensually, then you're getting a great night's sleep. It's also going to allow you to be a happier person overall and work towards a bigger vision, a bigger goal that you have for yourself. So, so many pieces that are delicately linked together and you've taken us superbly through all of it with plenty of takeaways. Any final words uh, to leave our listeners before I get to the end of our episode? Yeah, I have two things. One I really love how you just summarize that because we need to start with self-compassion and have self-compassion all the way through the process that you've just described where everything is related, that for whatever reason, we're inclined to speak in a way about ourselves to ourselves, which isn't kind, thinking we should already know how to do this or being frustrated. And I really want to include that the way we add salt to our food, we need to add self-compassion to this entire process. 
the beginning, the middle, and all of the luscious results are just filled with self-compassion in order to experience this. That's one thing. And then the other thing is that um, I know that what we've spoken about is probably imaginable and understandable, but the question is how to begin. Mm. And I have a program designed to teach people exactly this. And so if anyone's interested, I hope you'll join me in the Aligned and Hot Marriage Program because it really, in a respectful manner, goes through all of the sequential steps to be able to communicate with yourself and your partner in order to have the experiences we've been speaking about. And I want to say that the very first module in my Aligned and Hot Marriage Program is to cultivate curiosity because that is really how it begins. Not to think you should have the answers or that you do have the answers. But I hope the takeaway from anyone listening is just to become more curious about your experience, your thoughts, your sensuality, and your partners. And I think just giving yourself that space to be vulnerable enough to accept that something can, could be changed, something could improve, because from that seat of vulnerability, there's the potential for such amazing transformation. Um, yes, very, very quickly. Vulnerability, it, I think... It's easy to underestimate how quickly a relationship can improve when curiosity and vulnerability are the leading qualities. Oh, absolutely. And we have one final mantra on the episode, Alexandra, which I want you to just complete like everyone else, which is if sleep is the new medicine, then so let me have your spin on it. If sleep is the new medicine, then we have the energy to live our lives in fullness, pleasure, and kindness. Thank you, Alexandra, for giving your time today to be on our show. And uh, I know that I think a lot of people listening would actually need your uh, Hot and Aligned program. And I hope that they reach out to you. And uh, uh, I hope to have a deeper conversation with you a little down the line. So thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. It really is a pleasure to talk about these things which don't come up in conversation enough and are so important to all of us. I totally agree. And on a parting note, I must add, Alexandra, that, um, you know, my husband and I, we also are long-term yoga teachers and uh, there's so much we can actually now look at a person and tell right away if there's repression and um, you can see the repression spilling over into so many areas of life as frust emotional frustration, as the inability to focus. So I think that um, yours is a great tool for... Uh, and um, the beautiful thing is that um, obviously, you are somebody who 
it's uh, far away and you'll connect with them on zoom and therefore there's also the added benefit of anonymity so i hope they reach out to you and they do this beautiful thank you Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle. that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro it is important that you have someone who's qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health conditions